What do you want to do when you grow up? Yes. I'm gonna own a business. What kind of business are you gonna own? Store. Okay, well, what, what kind of store? <laughs> what kind of store? Clothing. Clothing. You wanna own a clothing For store? For kids. Okay. A soccer player? A competitive soccer player? Sure. Okay. Why not? Yes? Um, I wanna be a lot of things. Cool. Number one, I wanna be a gymnast on the Olympics, swimmer on the Olympics, actress, okay. singer, and a writer, script writer. Why are we here? What's the reason that we're here? Wait, what do you mean? Here? Here in living in on the earth. Oh, alive. Okay. Yes. Um, to make friends. Because I'm awesome. To be kind to others and to just live, basically. Uh, because my mom gave birth to me. What do you want people to say about you? You're the youngest looking person in the world. Excuse me? That's not possible. <laughs> Good morning, Hope. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor at Lutheran Church of Hope, specifically our Ames campus. Wherever you are this morning, if you're in this room or if you're somewhere else, welcome. We're so glad that we get to be able to worship today. I just want to give a really special shout out really quick to Hi Hope Ames. I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to worship with you next week. See you real soon. Uh, like I said, I'm Danny and I'm a pastor up there, so I want to make sure that I could say hi to them. I've got a question for you, and I think it's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Why am I here? Why am I here? Every single one of us is faced with this question. We can't really escape it. USA Today put out a survey for thousands of people across all generations, and they asked if you could ask God or a supreme being one question, what would it be? The overwhelming answer was, why am I here? Why am I here? Now, it's kind of a tricky question to, an to answer, isn't it? Because try to answer that question without talking about where you're trying to get. No, why am I here? But so often when we ask that question, why am I here, I talk about where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get there. I'm here because I want to get there. I want to get that job. I want to get that status. I want to have that power. I want to get that money. I want to have that relationship. I want to have that family. I'm trying to get there. And that's tough for us. It's hard for us to answer the question, why am I here? There's another study that I read that said 75% of people say that they do not sense a purpose in their lives. We're having a hard time with this. We think about, if I could just get there, then I might have it, but I'm here, I'm not there. I want to encourage you today with this. Why I'm here is not how to get there. And how to get there is not why I'm here. I want to take a step back today. There's nothing necessarily wrong about wherever you're trying to get. But wherever you're trying to get is not why you're here. We need to take a step back and ask the bigger and better question. Why? There was an author, neurologist, and also a psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor. His name is Viktor Frankl. He wrote one of the most influential books of modern history. It was called Man's Search for Meaning. As he spent time in the, or in the concentration camps and he observed the fellow prisoners, he said this, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Before we can talk about the how and how to get there, wherever there might be, we need to ask the why. Imagine it like this. If I said to you, hey, I would like for you to meet me on September 10th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Iowa City, what's the first question you would ask back? You wouldn't say, okay, how? You don't know me. Instead, you would ask, why? And then I would tell you so that we can watch the cyclones end the reign of terror over this state and defeat the Hawkeyes. It'd be... <laughs> I'm from Ames. It's home. 
hi to our local site in Iowa City, uh, specifically my brother-in-law and sister. Love you guys. Anyway, <laughs> that's the why. And then we can start to talk about the how. Oftentimes, we're missing the why, and it's a bigger deal than we want to admit. If we're forgetting the why, we're going to misuse stuff. So think about it like this. Got a Sharpie. And what's the purpose of the Sharpie? What's the why for the Sharpie? Well, it's simple. It's, it's to write. It's to draw. And it's to create. If I don't know that about this Sharpie, I will misuse it. And that will lead to frustration. Imagine if I'm telling this Sharpie, you are a screwdriver and you're supposed to turn screws. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I misuse it, I cannot use it for that purpose because it wasn't made for it. When we use something for purposes that it wasn't intended to be made for, it wasn't intended to be used for, we misuse them. And the more that we misuse something, the more vulnerable that thing is to being hurt. It's not just about a Sharpie, it's not just about the things in this world, it's about us too. How many of us are really hurt and really frustrated because we've been misusing ourselves? And we're misusing ourselves over and over and over and over again, and finally it just starts to hurt. We need to ask the question, why? If you believe, I need to be able to accomplish these things, get to these places, and I don't get those things, and I don't get those places, and I'm really frustrated, and I'm really hurt, you might start to believe that this life is meaningless. I might start to think that this Sharpie is meaningless if I think it's supposed to be a screwdriver. People have been feeling this way for a very long time. Thousands of years. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the author starts with this. Everything is meaningless. Completely meaningless. What a joy. <laughs> By the end of this passage, the author says, we don't remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Now, I do think that that's kind of a funny verse. Because it says, no one's going to remember what I'm doing now. And I wonder if every now and then, God walks up to the author of Ecclesiastes in heaven and says, hey, guess what? I put you in another sermon. They remember you! <laughs> so many of us feel like I'm not going to re be remembered. People aren't going to know who I am if I don't do enough. If I don't get to those places. If I don't get to that thing that's finally going to show me I do have purpose. I do have meaning. The world tells us that. You've got to do more so you can become something. You've got to get to a place so you can find your purpose. It's all a pursuit and it's at a destination. The Bible pushes back on this and we heard about it in the reading today. This is in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The behavior and customs of this world will tell you you have to do more, get to a place to find your meaning and to find your purpose. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There is a purpose for your life. There is meaning. God says so. And nobody knows better than your creator. Nobody knows why you were made and what you were made for and why you are here better than your creator. Are we going to evaluate our purpose and our meaning and whether our life has any value based on what other people say we're supposed to do? Or might we go to our creator who says, I have given you purpose. I have given you meaning. God's been thinking about you and valuing you and loving you forever. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1. Even before God made the world, God loved us. Before God even thought about spinning the universe into creation, you were in God's heart. 
God's been thinking about you before he even thought about making anything. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. At its core, why are you here? You are here because God made you. God made you because God wanted to love you. God decided his family wasn't complete until you were in it. God decided this world wasn't finished until you were created. God values you. God thinks you're important. God wanted to make his family better and bigger, and so he put you in it. God's been working for all time just to make sure that you could be here. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it tells us this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Do you realize God has been working in every single situation, in all things, everything, the good things and the bad things. And God is so good at creating that he can take the good things, he can take the bad things, he can repurpose them to have meaning and to create something so special and something so significant as you. I mean, really, God's been working for all of time, through all the generations, for everything to have to happen for you to be here. That makes you special. That makes you unique. That tells you you are made on purpose and for a purpose. But when we follow the the behaviors and customs of this world, we think, I have to do something. I have to become special. I have to make my name known. There has to be something different about me. What are the things that might make you different, that might make you stand out, that might make you meaningful, that might give your life purpose? Well, it'd be if something was special about me. So let's think about some things that might be special about people. What are the odds? Let's say you're an artist, you're in the film industry. What are the odds that you might win an Academy Award? Boy, that would make me special. I'd find my purpose and meaning then. Well, there's a 1 in 11,500 chance that you would win an Academy Award. Now, what if you had a really special story to tell people? Like, I don't know, you got struck by lightning. Not the most pleasing experience, but nonetheless, a great conversation starter. 1 in 114,195. I mean, if you got struck by lightning and survived to tell the story, that makes you special, right? I must be here for a reason. Okay, what if you won the jackpot? What if you won the lottery? There's a 1 in 292.2 million chance that you're going to do that. So next time you stop by the gas station, just consider that. (laughs) I will say this. My brother's won several Emmy Awards. My sister's been struck by lightning. So... (laughs) I don't know, God. What are you trying to tell me? We think those are the things that would make me special, unique. Maybe that's not your specific thing, but what is it? Man, if you think that would make you special, if you think that would make you unique, there's something that makes you so much more unique, so much more special, so much more valuable. Do you know what it is? You exist. Do you know what the odds are that you exist? Put a number in your head. What do you think the odds are that you exist, that you wake up, that you breathe? The odds that you exist are 1 in 400 trillion. For everything to have had to happen since the beginning of creation, all of the cells that would have to live, die, and regenerate, all of the generations, all of the people that would have had to meet just for you to be here, there is a 1 in 400 trillion chance that that it would happen. God made sure that it did. There's one scientist who put it this way. Imagine there was one life preserver thrown somewhere in the ocean. There's exactly one turtle in all the oceans swimming underwater somewhere. The probability that you came about and exist today is the same as that turtle sticking its head out of the water in the middle of that life preserver on one try. God had 399 trillion, 999 billion, 999 million, 999,999 other options, and God chose you. You were made on purpose. 
You were made for a purpose. Your life has meaning. Before you do anything, before you get to any place, before you, get, before you figure out how to get there, God says your life has meaning. God says you are valuable. God says you're a part of my family. You are my child. Before you've done a single thing. So know this. When it comes to how God sees you, what I do is not who I am. Can you repeat this after me? What I do, what I do. is not who I am. What I do is not who I am. What I do is not who I am. What I do is not who I am. I am a child of God and nothing changes that. It's the same for you. And God's been working throughout all of history since before creation to be sure that you would be his child. That you would exist. That you would live. That you would breathe. There's something so special about you. So chapter later in Ephesians, this is chapter 2, for we are God's masterpiece. The word in the Greek for masterpiece is poema. It's like this beautiful poem, all these different parts coming together that seemingly have nothing to do with one another, but when the artist brings them together, it creates something beautiful, a song, something that's pleasing to our ears. You exist because God takes pleasure in loving you. You exist because God thinks you're beautiful. You exist because God wants you to be his child. You are valuable. You do matter. Your life does have purpose. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You are God's masterpiece and that influences what you do. So let's go ahead and take a look at it again. What I do is not who I am, but when I realize who I am, it will lead what I do. I am not doing things to become a child of God. I am a child of God, so I get to live like a child of God. I'll never forget when I was sitting in a dorm room at Wartburg College in 2011, I was watching HopeOnline.tv. I was listening to a sermon from my dad. And I remember he said, right in this spot, as Christians, we're not doing things to get God to love us. We're doing things because God loves us. We get to live out of it, not for the reward. We get to live out of it because God's already given us his love. Here's the way that I think about it. When I was a first-year seminary student in St. Paul, our professor asked us on the first day, what do you want to do with your life? Now, we're a bunch of seminarians, so the answers wouldn't surprise you. We went around the room and people said, well, I want to be a pastor, I want to be a theologian, I want to be a professor, I just want to know more. After we've all answered the question, our professor said, those are really nice answers, but you all got it wrong. Well, that's a little judgy. (laughs) What do you want to do with your life? And he said, I didn't ask what do you want to do for life. I asked what do you want to do with life. Here's my question for you. Are you living for life or with life? That's kind of a weird thing to say. But here's what it looks like to live for life. To feel like you have to earn your life. To feel like you have to earn your keep. It's living for validation. To prove, I belong here. Right? And when we live for validation, our lives will be centered on results, comparisons, and control. You were not made to live this way. Here's a really good way to test and see if, if I'm living for validation rather than with the life God's given me. Do you have a hard time just being in the moment? I mean, when it's a good moment, there's a good space that you're in, but you can't enjoy it because you're scared it's going to pass. So you try to control it, you try to hold on to it, try to gather everything that you can about it. Don't take this away from me. People ask all the time, are you a good time manager? What a silly question. You can't manage time. To manage time means you would get to tell it what to do. You don't get to tell time what to do. You cannot control it. This has been happening to me and facing me for the last couple of weeks. 
Um, if you've been around Hope for a while and you've known me for a long time, this might make you feel old. I turned 30 a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Couldn't control that. <laughs> it just happened. We can't control. But when we live for validation, we're going to try to hold on. Control ourselves, control what other people think about us, control this world. Earn validation. Earn our keep. The Bible pushes back against this. This is again in our reading for today. This is Romans chapter 12, back one verse into verse 1. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living, living and holy sacrifice. See, in the Christian family, when we are children of God, we're not concerned about holding on to things. Instead, we have the ability to surrender. Not in a way of, oh, you caught me! But in a way of, I don't have to carry these things anymore. Instead, I get to receive the infinite and eternal love of my God that I could share over and over and over and over 400 trillion times again, and I would still have as much as I had in the first place. I get to share. Live for validation. Your life will center on control. But live with God's love, knowing that God has already given you life. You don't have to earn life. God has given you life. Your life will be centered on fullness, contentment, and surrender. It's a life of sharing. Now, it's so interesting when we're living for validation, we're trying to get validation from people. I want people to approve of me. I want them to feel like they should be in my life. I want them to be around me. But what are the parties you like to go to? Is it the parties where people say, you better hold on tight because this is a thieves party and people are going to try to steal stuff from you? Or do you like the parties when people say, just come, you, we got it all covered. This is your gift. That's something that this church has been built on. You look around this room and you see the people who show up. They don't come because of a messenger. They don't come because of a team. They don't come because of a production. They come because this is a space and this is a place like many churches across the world where God says you don't have to live for validation. You get to live with my love. People show up to that. Remember the line from the old movie, Field of Dreams, people will come? Reminded of Field of Dreams this time of year. Field of Dreams is the movie that was made 30 years ago about baseball in Dyersville, Iowa. Now they play a major league baseball game out there once a year. Go Cubs go, they won, it was great. <laughs> Last year, my wife and I, we were staying overnight in Dyersville, and it was really, really hot, so I waited to run until late at night. I was out on a gravel road, and I saw some lights, and I thought, that must be the Field of Dreams. As I get closer and closer, I realize, that's it. That's the field of dreams. And I'm thinking, this is great. It's just me in the field. No one else. I get to control this moment. I show up. It was so cool. It was like the movie. It was like fog going over the field. I actually took this picture. I'm like, shoeless Joe Jackson's going to come on out and say, I came. They built it. It's going to be amazing. I go up to uh, home plate. And I kid you not, there is a wooden bat right next to home plate. I'm like, this is so cool. So I pick up the bat. I'm like, now up to bat for the Northside Chicago Cubs, Danny, householder. I swing and I run around the bases and I'm feeling good. That wasn't enough. So I go back, I pick up the bat again. I'm like, I got to savor up this moment. It's just me. I'm so glad it's this one moment. It's just me in this field and that's it. Swing as hard as I can because it was so hot and I was so sweaty. The bat actually flew out of my hands, goes past second base, lands in the grass, and I'm like, it's gone, baby! The Cubs win the World Series! I round first base. I'm coming around second. I look out into the outfield and I see that there are two men in the cornfield watching me. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> I went out to them and I said, uh, so 
So what are you guys doing here? <laughs> they said, oh, the house here, it's actually an Airbnb, so our family's here. I look at the window, there's 10 people just waving, staring out the window. <laughs> it's a great hit, son. <laughs> I'm not a quitter, so I round third base, I'm looking around, aware of my you know, uh, surroundings now, and I see there's a security team also there, just watching me. Pretty uh, big reality check moment for me. I got back to the hotel. I told my wife, this is amazing, a little embarrassing, but it was amazing. We went back the next day, and it was packed. And I wonder, if I hadn't had that experience the night before, would I have been more self-centered the day after, seeing that all the people came? I mean, my goodness, when I was there by myself, why should I have been surprised that other people would show up? To a place that's just beautiful. To a place where you just get to be. A place where you can just simply rest. You don't have to do something to get something. It's a place where you can be. And the next day as it's full, I'm looking around and I don't have to say, oh, I can't believe they've commercialized this place. How could they? As Christians, we should never stand in the way of no matter how many people it is, coming in, experiencing and receiving beauty that their soul so deeply desires. People will come. You really want people to show up in your life? You really want them to come? Let's stop living for validation. Instead, start believing that we live with God's love. Among all the different ways that you can live in this world, here are two of them. One of them is, I'm trying to earn gifts in my life. The other one is, I have a gift and I can't keep it to myself. I need to share it. Again, that is what this church has been built on. That's what's happening up in Ames at our campus up there. And you'd be surprised at who's showing up because of it. There are young people that people have said for a long time, young people don't want anything to do with the church. Have you looked around this room, for the record? Whatever campus you're at, wherever you're at, do you know that this is a church that's intergenerational? We see it in Ames as our college students are flocking. They're showing up. Uh, We're kicking off the school year this year. It's Kairos, our college ministry. On Wednesday, August 24th at 8 o'clock, we're going to be right on campus at the Campanile on Iowa State's campus. It's a place where we just welcome students. So um, enough with trying to live for validation. Said this is a space where you get to live and know the love of God. Live with and know the love of God. And they show up because of it. How much more refreshing is that? We also tell them this. You don't have to wait till you graduate. You don't have to wait till you get that dream job. You don't have to wait till you lock in that internship. You don't have to wait until you get into that relationship. You don't have to wait until you have your own family. You don't have to wait to experience God's purpose for you. You can do it right here, right now, in college, at your campus, in your home, on your vacation, wherever you might be in the world. You can do it right here and right now. So many of us think, you know, the problem in my life, the thing that's standing in my way of my purpose is my current circumstance. It's my job. It's my family. It's this thing that's broken in my life. But the Bible pushes back against that. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, each one of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. Whatever situation the Lord has placed you, it matters, it's valuable. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, my purpose is to make money and this job isn't giving it to me. The purpose of God giving us work and giving us jobs is not to make money. The purpose of God giving us work and giving us jobs is so that we can use our gifts to share God's love with the world around us, to bless this place, to bless people. That's your purpose. Your purpose is to receive God's love and share God's love because it's not something that can be contained. Your purpose is not to earn God's love. Your purpose is to share it. What does that look like in the workplace? What does that look like in the school place? What does that look like wherever you find yourself during most of your waking hours in the week? 
You know, you come here and we're so glad that you're here. We refresh, we refuel, we worship. We get to be authentically ourselves. We get to interact with other people of God's family. It's amazing. But as we're called in, we're also called to go out. God calls us in and God sends us out. This shows up in the Bible over and again. God calls in Abraham and he sends him out. God calls in Moses, God sends him out. God calls in, uh, Jesus calls in the disciples and Jesus sends them out. Jesus calls us into this space today and Jesus will also send us out. So what does it look like in these places? Well, the first is God's purpose, wherever you might find yourself, comes from love. God's purpose comes from love. If it isn't love, it's not God's purpose. Romans chapter 12, later on in the chapter, says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't you love how real and raw and honest and convicting God's word is? Don't pretend. Really love. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and he said something that was pretty heartbreaking. My friend is a person of color, and I asked him, what's it like to be you in a place that's about 90% white? First, he talked about how much he loves living in Ames and how great it is. But as we got deeper and down into it, he said something that really struck me. He said, you know, I, I know a lot of people who talk about supporting me. But nobody's going out to lunch with me. Our social media posts, the things we put in our yard, the stuff we shout about, it matters. But if you don't follow up, It's just pretend love. As Christians, we're called to really love. More than our words, people need our friendship. More than the stuff we can come up with, people need God's love. God's called us to share it with them. God's love comes from a place of love, and God's love leads into peace. God's love leads into peace. Maybe you're so stressed out. I don't have any peace about this. I don't know God's will for my life. I don't know God's purpose for me. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Well, let me start by this. Wherever you go, God is with you. Wherever you go, God's purpose follows you. Goes before you, goes behind you, and goes with you in it. God's purpose is with you, and you can have peace in that. It says this in Romans chapter 12, in his grace, this is a gift from God in his grace. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Each one of you, you are differently equipped, differently gifted. And so many of us, we're trying to use gifts that God didn't give us. No matter how many times I tell this Sharpie, you are a screwdriver, it's not a screwdriver. And in the same way, some of us are misusing ourselves, and so we're hurting ourselves. My goodness, if you are a Sharpie, you will have peace in writing and creating. But if you're a screwdriver, you won't have peace in that, will you? If you're a Sharpie, go ahead and write. If you're a screwdriver, be a tool. Don't be a tool, but be a tool. (laughs) Not that kind of tool, but a tool. You can find peace in the gifts that God has given you. That doesn't mean that it's always comfortable. That doesn't mean, oh, I've got peace because I'm comfortable. There is a difference between peace and comfort. Not all comfort leads to peace. God's not always making us comfortable, but God is always caring for us. And there's a difference between care and comfort. Comfort is, I'm tired, so I'm going to take a three-hour nap this afternoon, and I'm going to wake up with a headache. And it's going to throw off my sleep schedule. But caring for ourselves would be having the discipline to go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning. Comfort is, I'm going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. Caring is taking care of our bodies. And those are the things that lead to peace. It's not always comfortable, but it is caring. And it leads to peace. God's love comes from love, or God's purpose comes from love. God's purpose leads into peace. God's purpose sends us to people. Romans chapter 12, again, later on the the passage. When When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. 
Always be eager to practice hospitality. When we think hospitality, we think warm homes, nice music, cookies smelling nice, and people show up and they feel like they're at home. Hospitality had a deeper and more powerful meaning back in those days. The word for it in the Greek is philoxenius. The two words that make up that one word, it's philos, which means love. It's one of the words for love in the New Testament. And the second one is xenos. Philos is love. Xenos is stranger. What it literally means is love for the stranger. It's not love for the people that you'd usually welcome into your home. It's love for the people who are different than you and actively seeking them out and welcoming them because they're your family. You've heard the phrase before, I didn't choose my family, I choose my friends. I get to choose my friends, but not my family. And it's true in the family of God, too. There are people in the family of God that you have no business loving other than the fact that God says, that's your brother, that's your sister. We love people, especially those who are different than us. Did you see this this week? This is from the Little League World Series. Here's a little boy, his name is Isaiah, and here's another boy, his name is Caden. According to the announcers, it sounds like he goes by Zay, and he goes by Bubs. Bubs was pitching... And he threw the ball and it hit Isaiah in the head. What would you do if someone threw a baseball really hard and it hit you in the head? Well, rather than me tell you about it, go ahead and take a look. That's awesome. This is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, Bob. Look at me. Look at me. You're all right. Amazing. You're all right. Look at me. Hey, look, look. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Be eager to show hospitality. Two kids in two different uniforms from two different places. But that's love. We're called to love people. God's purpose comes from love. God's purpose sends it, leads us into peace. God's purpose sends us to people. But here's the best part. God's purpose, soli deo gloria. Soli deo gloria. In English, what it means is to God alone be the glory. God's purpose for your life is not actually about you. It's for you. God's purpose? God's purpose is you. God wants to love you. God created you. God's purpose is to welcome you into his family. It's for you, but it's not about you, is it? Our purpose is to glorify God. We glorify God by loving God. We love God by loving God's children. It is the answer to our questions that we haven't been able to answer. The question that 75% of people say they don't feel an answer to. It's the question that all people are asking. If I could ask a God, if I could ask a supreme being, what's the purpose, or any question in the world, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? You're here for the glory of God. This is the answer. When Jesus showed up, as a human being, thousands of years ago, people were asking the same questions. They were lacking the same answers. That's why when you think about ancient Greece and Rome, you think about philosophers. 
philosophers were everywhere, right? We still read their stuff. They're asking questions. They're attempting answers. But they don't necessarily have them. Philosophers were popping up left and right because there was this question people couldn't answer. Why am I here? What's the one thing that gives my life meaning that death doesn't take away? Why am I here? They couldn't find the answer, but they had a word for what that answer might be someday. It was logos. Logos literally meant word. They said, if we could find the answer to why we are here, that would be logos. It would be true word. It would be literal truth written down for us to read, for us to know, for us to understand. But that would never happen. John chapter 1, John writes about Jesus coming into this world. Maybe you've heard it before. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. And of course, he uses that philosophically, philosophically loaded word. Logos. Read that again. In the beginning, Logos already existed. In the beginning, the reason for life already existed. The reason for life was with God. And the reason for life was God. The reason purpose. It's God. Right at the end of this passage, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, so the word, the logos, the answer to all of your questions, the reason for your life, that reason became human. And he made his home among us. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. God does not control this world from a balcony far away. God doesn't tell you to find the ladders, to climb your way up, to achieve the purpose of life. God doesn't ask you to get to a destination to understand why you're here. He is the reason why you're here. He is the purpose. So he showed up. The meaning of our life. The purpose that you live. It's the God who shows up in human form. And he answers so lovingly every single question you've ever had about yourself, about this world. Why am I here? See how beautiful your God is? doesn't stay far away. He gets close. He says, let me show you. I don't want you to guess. I don't want you to wonder. This life is not about control. This life is not for validation. You have validation. You have life. You are my child. I love you. I've been proving it to you forever. I had 400 trillion options and you are the one that I went with. You are the reason I came and I am the reason for you. How did he live? What was the purpose of his life? It wasn't to control. It was to share. It was to love. It was to give. It was to surrender his life. It was to surrender his place in heaven so that we might join him one day. 
the reason for your existence, the reason why you're here, the answer to your questions, the logos, the purpose of our lives is Jesus. Jesus is the reason. It's why you wake up. It's why you open your eyes. It's why your breath fills, your lungs fill with breath. He's the reason. He's been showing you forever. And he's got eternity to prove it to you again. He comes with you. He goes before you. He stays behind you. The reason isn't here. You will not be leaving the reason of your life. The purpose of your life when you leave this space today. God, Holy Spirit, goes with you. Every step of your days. He guides you. He guards you. He protects you. He blesses you. And he shows you that you were made for so much more than just doing things to get stuff. The purpose of your life is not to get somewhere. The purpose of your life is to be with someone. And that someone is Jesus. You are his reason for coming. He is our reason for living. Amen. Let us glorify him with our worship.